Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. I am here with my co-host, uh, Interim slash who knows what's going to happen. We'll get Pentecostal. But anyways, uh, with Ramon <laughs> Quintero. Um, I'm also here with uh, our producer, Dave Bodie. Um, and we have a guest today. His name is Daniel M. Uh, I actually have one of his uh, books in my hand, You Are What You Do. It's uh, That Lie and Six Other Lies about uh, your identity in life. And today we're going to ask Daniel a very, very important question. I think it's something that I feel like whatever age you are, 20 years or 30s, you're asking, which is why won't my job make me happy? Ramon, what are some of your initial thoughts? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, uh, I've uh, done a number of uh, different jobs throughout my life. And, you know, I'm pretty sure a number of them have been not for the right reasons. I'm just think, like just thinking, man, I, I want this for this reason or this for this reason. And um, I'm thankful for just the insight that, um, well, one, this book that has given and also other other um, leaders in my life that have uh, contributed towards giving the right perspective of, you know, why we do what we do. Mm. Well, Daniel, let's just jump right in. Um, we'll kind of share a little bit about you. He pastors up in Edmonton on uh, Canada, as we like to say, Mountain Standard Time. Um, but your last three years, uh, you've had a ton of transition. Um, you're kind of settling in, not to mention a pandemic. Why don't you walk mm. us through your most recent move and just why the significance and uh, you know where you are and why this question resonates with you? Definitely, definitely. Well, it's so good to be with you guys here. Uh, for me, I, just a quick story. So born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, lived in multiple different places, Ottawa, Montreal, Korea, Edmonton, and then uh, have been back in Edmonton for about a year and a half. But prior to that, I was in Nashville for five years. So the most recent transition going to your question was Man, I loved, like we loved our life in Nashville. My wife and I, Christina, we have three kids, 11, 10, and six. And yeah, I mean, we just, there's there's nothing about our life in Nashville we didn't, I mean, and come on, it's Nashville, right? <laughs> Nash Vegas, like what's not to like about Nashville? So I was working for Lifeway, basically helping them figure out what does it look like to resource church multiplication in North America and around the world as well. And it was in and through that where I was just, I just had so many great opportunities uh, in writing a book with Ed Stetzer, Planting Missional Churches, um, wrote a book on discipleship, No Solar Bullets. And then I was writing this book, right? You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. And as I was writing the book, I think it was like I, I handed the manuscript in and that's about the time where we were discerning, hey, should we actually move back to Canada? And it was not on our radar at all. Like I said, there's there were so many pastors who were like, Daniel, you have my perfect job. Like you have my perfect life. There's like you're you're working for Lifeway, you're resourcing the church, you're also serving as a teaching pastor at your local church, which which basically meant that I preached every other week and had to go to no other meetings. <laughs> Right. And I just I led my small group. I preached and it was just we just there's and we just loved our neighborhood and were involved in our kids school and 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 all of that. We just God just said, no, you know what? It's time to lay that down. I'm about to move you on. And now that you've made this transition, 
um, not only have you moved, but you've also moved into the transition of now pastoring again. So would that would mm-hmm. that be, how, you know, what's that transition look like? How's it going versus what it was in Nashville to what it is now? Yeah, yeah. For Christina and I, I mean, our entire like our lives have always been this. Lord, here we are. Here we are, and Lord, send us. We just want to be faithful in the little. And I remember, I mean, probably over a decade ago where I had a life plan. It was part of my master's when I was doing graduate school and and just kind of this life plan for our entire lives. And we just ended up chucking it. <laughs> because we like we li- were literally planned our lives till we were like 85 and I don't know why we stopped at 85 but for some reason we did and and literally we just threw it away and we were like you know what instead of living tied to this and yes I get there's wisdom around planning and all that stuff what if we just chose to live being faithful in all that God had given us and all that God has brought before us. So we didn't manufacture going to Nashville. We didn't manufacture coming back to Edmonton. In fact, we had just gotten our green cards. Once again, we're Canadians. And like, literally, when we were surrendering them, the people at the border were like, what are you doing? People kill for these things. And like literally the border person said people kill. And I probably shouldn't have said that, but we had just gotten our green cards and I was like, yeah, you know what? We we didn't think we were going to be in the States forever, but we knew that God had brought us there for a season. And then we had just gotten them. And that's when God began unsettling our hearts. And through a ton of different moments as we were praying and seeking God's direction on this, he was like, no, you know what? I'm calling you back to this church that you were at before, and I'm calling you to be the next lead pastor of this church that has a hundred year history and has planted over 60 churches and just has this, his, this, this legacy of multiplication. And it was just like, God just so clearly was like, Hey, you are not what you do. Um, yet I'm calling you to steward this for this next season. You know, I, I want to back up a little bit because I'd like to hear more about the transition. And, you know, mm. I'm thinking about our 20s and 30-somethings. Um, you know, there's a, there's a handful of articles right now about succession and transition. And, you know, there's there's the, I'm not, um, not going to get the promotion, so I'm just going to go somewhere else. Mm. And then there's the, I'm just going to grin and bear it and and just stay where I'm at. And I guess kind of from your transition, it seemed like you moved to Edmonton knowing this is where I'm going. What Mm. would you say to some of those individuals that are like, you know, I'm either stuck or I've got to find something else. And those aren't the two options because I think it does play into this question. Why can't my job make me happy? And so I guess I'd be curious how you talk to someone about that. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great question. There's there it's, it's a broad spectrum, right? So when you think about uh, the two ends of the spectrum, you got one side who everything's just laissez-faire, uh, you know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And I'll just kind of just glide through life. And, and maybe that's just my West coast uh, feel, but it's just like this, you know, we're just gonna, we're just gonna West coast it up and just, and then you got maybe the East Coast. <laughs> this was intentional. But you get that kind of like, I'm going to grind. I'm going to hustle. You know, that New York. Man, there's just like, I'm just going to go for it. And I'm going to make this happen. And you get this polarity of where are you going to land 
in and through all of this. And then on top of that, you got the layers of family dynamics. So, and if you're single and if you're married and if you are single or married, are you expected based on birth order? Are you expected? Like what expectations are are on you from your parents or on your in-laws, right? So you got that side. And then on top of that, you got the cultural expectations of how, what is your role in, in regards to the family and proximity. So this is not a simple question, right? You got all of these layers you do need to consider. But all that aside, when you are a follower of Jesus, your first allegiance is to Jesus. It's not to culture. It's not to your parents. It's not to a career plan. It's not to any of that. Your first allegiance is to Jesus who is for us and who is not against us. So when you put all of that into consideration, you're like, okay, wait a second. So I know all of my expectations on me and I can kind of see what might come up and, and what I might be able to do and what I'm best at because there's StrengthsFinder and Enneagram and Colby and Berkman and there's so many other assessments and now Lencioni's genius assessment, right? I mean, there's just so much good stuff out there to help you learn who you are and what you're good at. But, and all that is good. And that kind of leans on that right side of planning. All of that is good and we need to be self-aware. But if our allegiance is to our plans, here's why, and, and here's why it's actually foolish, because you don't know what's going to come up tomorrow. You don't know, even no matter how good you are at planning, I think COVID has taught us that it's a fool's game <laughs> because restrictions and politics and there's so much stuff is up in the air and we actually don't control any of it. So in our mind's eye, no matter how brilliant you might be, your plans cannot compare to the one who knows yesterday, today, and forever, right? Who to him, it, you know, a thousand years is like a day, a day is like a thousand years. Like there's, he is over time. He is above all of that. So that's when going back to your question, I know that was a long roundabout way to do it. Uh, but going back to your question, it really is this sense of, okay, so who am I going to entrust my future to? Me trying to wrestle and hold all of this intention or to God who is for me and not against me? Right? He is not a malicious God. Right? He is not out to get us. He doesn't have his arms crossed and is leaning back and is like, oh, I'm going to spite you because you did this. No, it's, he is for us and he is not against us. And his love for us is steadfast and enduring and forever. So, hey, when I have those two in hands, I would rather entrust my life to God. And when I look in hindsight, just in the last 10 years, my life plan doesn't even like doesn't even hold up like even one like when i look at what we've been what we've experienced these last 10 years compared to what i wanted my life to look like it does not compare and that's the beauty of just saying you know i'm going to live daily faithfully and trust that god is going to lead me in the future indeed and that is definitely beautiful to see how god can utilize all the things that we experience and produces something that we could never imagine. And um, mm -hmm. you mentioned a, a number of different layers uh, in your transition part. And obviously that brings about many emotions, many things. And one of them would be, would be pain. One of them would be yeah. grief. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we recently, uh, you know, we, we, we've talked a number of, of um, 
you know, a number of episodes on, on grief. And, and I w- mm. and I would just ask Daniel, what what part of those transitions, because they bring about all these things and emotions being one of them and pain, um, would you say brought about grief for you? And, yeah. and how did that play out? Like, how did you experience it? And how did you uh, um, go about it? Yeah, yeah. If change doesn't bring about some level of grief or loss, you're either a robot, <laughs> right? Or you're really good at compartmentalizing your emotions. So there, and and just this last year of not being in control, right? And I think that's our ideal, isn't it? I mean, that's what the gig economy, which I address in the book, I mean, that's what the gig economy promises, a life of freedom, flexibility and ultimate control and this last year has shown us that we are not in control and if you have if you have not processed your grief and your loss even loss of control i mean once again you're either a robot or you're really good at compartmentalizing because you're and you're just not in tune with the emotion so going to your question i mean yeah when we moved and and gave up everything in nashville and i purposely talked about nashville the way I did, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's always a sense of nostalgia, right? And you kind of, um, you, you overemphasize the good, you underemphasize the bad. Yeah. I mean, our life wasn't perfect in Nashville, but it was really good and we loved it and loved our friends and loved our community. Yet we know that God called us here and we love our life here now. But if I were to just Toss that all aside and said, yeah, you know, the past is the past. That's fine. I'm just going to lay that aside. And now I'm future focused. And I'm not going to think about any of that. I would be I would be neglecting really such meaningful transformation and development that happened. So here's an example. Actually, yesterday at the time of this recording yesterday, before Christina and I went to bed, I actually asked her, I was like, hey, close your eyes. And I want you to think about our life in Nashville. And she's like, okay. And just just tell me what you see. And she started describing our house and our neighbors and walking to the pool and then driving down Division Road and going to Marco's Pizza, going to our church, the ice cream shop, and just what our life looked like. And honestly, I was sad. <laughs> like it was this weird sense of, oh my goodness, I can. I can place myself right there right now. And simultaneously, I was happy and I was sad and I was wrestling with, oh, I miss that so much. And it was just a flood of emotions we like we were talking through, one of them being grief. Yet we finished our time being like, and you know what? That's a memory. And we are so grateful for what that was. But even if we were to go back today, it would not be that, right? So instead of being sad, like we're, let's let's be appreciative and grateful for what God had allowed us to experience in the life that we led. And now let's also be grateful for this life that we are called to right now, because otherwise we fall into the trap of just, um, what it, what, what's the word, just over- uh, oh, it's the nostalgia side of things, right? Like just so emphasizing and living in the past that you're just basically living in the past, right? And we need to appreciate the past and we need to look forward to the future, but we need to be grateful for today. Otherwise, we're going to fall into other traps and other lies. 
Daniel, I, I don't want us to move from this because I, I think your experience helps people realize why their job won't make them happy. I want to go back mm. to something you said. Um, you know, you made the comment that when you worked at Lifeway, like you kind of had the dream job. You could preach when you mm. want to preach. You could you write you wrote resources. And I think that there's a lot of um of our listeners that are like, Daniel just land from one dream job to the next. You know, mm-hmm. and and to think about you transitioned with a longtime pastor. Yeah. And I guess grief sometimes it happens when good things happen. So mm-hmm. I guess what I'm kind of curious, um, I, you know, I take it that, you know, the former senior pastor, you had a positive relationship with him. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's almost kind of on the outside. It could be like, well, here's COVID. Daniel, go ahead, lead now. Um <laughs> And uh, not th- I think there was plans before that, but I, yeah. I guess I'm kind of wondering for our listeners, because they're sitting here saying, I want to be the boss. I want to be the CEO. I want to be the senior pastor. What has it been like for you to grieve, even in something so positive? This is why you moved to Edmonton. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, I know this is there's the time of this recording and then when it's going to release. And we're like in the last month, by the time this releases, the last month of the Baton Pass. And it, when when we started, it was not going to be it, the agreement was it was not going to be any longer than two years, but it could be quicker. And it was just this sense of, you know what, I'm going to be completely honest and open. We've had so many healthy conversations. If there wasn't any conflict over this period of transition, then that would just be, I mean, you're just ignoring what is, right? Because there's obviously, there's, there's, you're going to bump up, right? You're going to step on each other's toes, just like what you would do when you're dancing with someone that you don't know. I mean, you're stepping on each other's toes. And there's that side where that happened, but we resolved to keeping short accounts to be praying for one another. And I love Keith. And I mean, we're he's going to be continually like I'm, I've asked him to continue to preach for us. And we're talking about what future involvement looks like, because he is one of the most incredible pastors I've ever met. And I've had the privilege of learning from. But here's the thing going to your question. I mean, there's a tension in the waiting. Right. There's tension in the land in between. I mean, just look scripturally how many times people waited. I mean, you got the Israelites, classic example in, in, in the Old Testament and them going from Egypt to the promised land. But there's a ton of other stories around waiting. I mean, Jesus waited for 30 years before he stepped into, and he's the son of God, right? He was fully God, fully man. And he waited for 30 years before his ministry, public ministry began. Paul who used to be called Saul, right? Paul, who wrote so many letters in the New Testament. I mean, he, on the road to Damascus, encountered Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, encountered him, had his life completely transformed, and yet he still waited, scholars say, about three years. There was about a three-year period of waiting between being called in that experience to his public ministry. And you got story after story of people being in the in-between, Yet in scripture, it's often a page, (laughs) right? Or a couple pages. And in our world today, with instant gratification, like anyone can today, right now, as they're listening, go on Amazon and download the Kindle book, 
you know, this Kindle book or any other one or download Audible or even sh- get something shipped to their house within two hours, depending on depending on where you live, right? Everything is now. And if we don't think that that has also seeped into our spirituality, right, we're fooling ourselves. So, yes, God may have given you a dream to lead and hopes and aspirations to do great things for God. But it's as my friend in Nashville, Kevin Queen says, you know, what if instead of trying to do great things for God, we just do things for a great God? Right? What if we just do things for a great God, trusting God and trusting him with the timing? Right? And that's the thing, right? God legit may have given you a word and a dream or a vision and everyone's affirming you and saying, no, you, you're the boss, right? I mean, you're, you can lead this organization or you can do this far more effectively than your boss. So just, you know, just climb on top of them, take things into your hands, get it done and just do it your own way. And you know what? Those dreams may have actually been from God. And you know what? God anointed Saul as the king of Israel. He did. But Saul grasped. He didn't want to wait for Samuel. He, 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 he wanted to do things in his own timeline. And we see what happened when he lost the kingdom. And there's, I mean, there's obviously a ton we can talk about regarding that, but it's just a great illustration that it's like, hey, yeah, you know what? Patience and timing is different than knowing what God has called you to. It's a different dimension that we need to surrender to God. I'm going to I'm going to push you a little bit. Give us in the day in the life of Daniel, give us yeah. a practical application of what that looks like. Um okay. and kind of, you know, being patient and faithful. You don't even have to use this circumstance, but you know, help our listeners kind of realize what does that how can you be fully ambitious in a healthy way? Yeah but fully okay. patient in, in God, you know, what does that look like okay. in your life? <laughs> hey, I love that you pushed and immediately. Uh, okay. So when COVID hit, actually, when we moved to Edmonton, I had my entire life and, uh, you know, just, you know, been, just been so inconsistent and in working out and doing weights and all that stuff. Cause I'd play sports and mm. you know, there, there'd be all that. And, and, you know, I love eating too much. <laughs> <laughs> and fried chicken. I like. I just love food so much. So I was like, man, I gotta just get better at creating a discipline around working out. And then it was good. It was going really well. And then COVID hit. So you know what? I love cycling. So Christina and I actually bought a Peloton. Now I know some of your listeners must be like, oh, Daniel must be balling because Pelotons are so expensive. <laughs> and I get, I get. People might be thinking that, but what we were both paying for the gym. Uh, it was actually, it's actually about the same price for us to, to for us to have financed. And I'm, I'm no Dave Ramsey paying things in cash. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, so <laughs> don't come to me for financial advice. But, but we financed at zero percent interest, and I was like, you know what, it's gonna be okay. Let's do this. So I, I, I bring that all up because if I were to tell you that it wasn't hard, and there haven't been difficult moments in waiting, I'd be lying, right? I'd completely lying. And I'll. Real example, right? So for me, before I work out, I'm like, if, if I'm going to work out for 45 minutes, I, and this was a conviction a couple months ago, I'm going to make sure that I'm spending 45 minutes or longer with God before. If I'm going to work out for an hour, I'm spending more time with God before that. Because for me, it was like, I was so obsessed with making sure that I was healthy, that I was actually shortening my time with God to do that. 
right? And that became this ambition. So I flipped it around. There was a course correction a few months ago uh, where that's good now. And I'm spending that time with God. But here's an example. I am on the bike and Peloton, if you've ever done it, I mean, the instructors are like world-class, motivational. They just, they're just helping you get there. And there's a leaderboard and you're competing and I'm going. And in my mind, I'm like, there's 10 to 15 minutes left. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to give up. And there's some instructors who are like, there's no such thing as a 43 minute workout. It's only 45 minutes. So keep on. And they're like doing all this stuff. Right. And I'm like, I just, I, there've been so many times I just want to give up. And I'm like, no one's going to know. I'm just going to, or I'm just going to, I'm just going to stop going the pace that they want me to go. I'm fine. No one's going to know. And I'm going, and I'm like, no, I can't do that. Cause if I give up here, where else in my life am I going to give up? And no one is watching me here. I am not going to, and this is such an easy thing. Why would I give this up? So I kid you not, especially when it's like last two or three minutes, I've been like, okay, I have 12 months before succession happens. I'm going to equate 12, you know, each month to a minute or each month to, and I'm literally going and I'm like 12, 11, 10. And I'm just like, I am not going to give up because it says in the scriptures, you know, you know, are are you going to be faithful, right? Do you want to be faithful in the little? And I'm like, I know it's a stupid example, (laughs) right? But I'm just sharing it because I'm like, it's in those small moments where I'm not going to, I'm going to be ambitious and I'm going to finish well and not give up. Because if I can do that in moments where no one else is looking and no one else else will never know, that's going to help me be able to do that and stay faithful to God in the public moments where it matters the most. Mm. Yeah. And I love the co- the course correction you mentioned. I mean, that's very yeah. that's key, obviously, in any anything that we want to do and we want to do well. And uh, mm. you you mentioned also the the fact that when that course correction happened, it it kind of plays in with that the reminder of what you said earlier in terms of doing things well, you know, and and doing them well for God and and doing it for the right reasons. And, um, in in making a a little highlight of your, 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 your book, you know, doing, um, you, you are what you do. How has that played in with your, your current role? And, and, and second, I, you, you mentioned in the book as well, it's, the the gig economy and how that plays mm-hmm. in with what your family you know your upbringings and what your 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 parents had to do growing up, how um, how has that played in also with this particular um, situation and where you're at right now you're 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 pastoring and and yeah just mm-hmm. share share a little bit on that yeah love that so yeah and and for all of your listeners who don't know what the gig economy is it's not gig internet um, <laughs> right um, but the gig economy is essentially defined as getting paid for your time, skills, possessions, or expertise in either a part-time or a full-time capacity, okay? So when my parents had homestay in their house growing up, Korean students from Korea staying, renting rooms, I mean, that was Airbnb before Airbnb was a thing, 
right? And my mom and dad were hustling there and renting out our basement to feed me and my three sisters and do everything that they were doing. And they were doing that job and other jobs and all that stuff. I mean, the fact that we all rely on delivery services for food and to get Amazon packages, you know, all that stuff, that's all funded by the gig economy and driven by the gig economy. So 20 to 30% of the American workforce is actually a part of the gig economy in a part-time or full-time capacity. But I would say almost 100%, not 100%, but almost 100% funds the gig economy in some sense or fashion. So it's the water that we're living in. It's just reality that people have their side hustles, right? And you might've heard it in that way, people have their side hustles. So here's the thing, going to your question, in the book, I talk about you these seven lies, right? You are what you do. You are what you experience. You are who you know. You are what you know. You are your past. And I just kind of go through these lies. Every single one of these lies promises you something. And the thing that it promises you is a better life. And it's like, hey, if you build your life on this, like the lie, you are what you do then you're going to have that life. And the lie that's underneath the surface of every single one of them, and that this is what the gig economy has been pushing hard, is a life of freedom and flexibility. So here's what happens if we break it down. When we believe this lie that we are what we do. So I am a pastor. My identity is rooted in the fact that I'm a pastor. Or my identity is rooted in the fact that I am an author. Or I am a podcaster. Or I am. And I just, we base it wholly in what we are doing in that moment. Right? What we are doing. We're rooting that in because we're like, yeah, if I build this and I'm going to climb the career, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder, I'm going to be, and then I'm going to get whatever it is that you want to get freedom and flexibility. Right? So you might think you want more freedom. So it's more vacation, right? Or you want more flexibility. So you want to be your own boss. So you want to climb the ladder. So you're your own boss or you want more money. So you're just rooting yourself and you're building this quote unquote brand around, hey, this is who I am and I want to be known and I want to build this all up because ultimately what you want is a life of complete freedom and flexibility. The problem is you never get there, <laughs> right? And some people try to get there by their jobs, right? Other people try to get there through the lie, you are what you know. So it's through education. It's like, you know, okay, I'm going to get the life that I want by doing more schooling by getting another degree, by getting another degree, by doing this. Some people try to get there, right, by experiences and creating this, man, I have the most beautiful Instagram account and I'm living the life that, right? We all try to get to that dream, this false dream, really, uh, through each and every one of these lies. But what we recognize is the only way to true freedom and flexibility is surrendering our lives to Jesus who gives us that freedom and flexibility for eternity, right? And, and he allows us to begin experiencing that today when we have a relationship with him, but ultimate freedom and flexibility only comes through Jesus. Daniel, I, um, I want to shift directions a little bit. And uh, again, if you don't want to answer this question, I kind of, um, you know, I'm listening to someone that's very self-aware. You wrote a book about seven lies. Um, mm. And I think one of the conversations in America, I'm not sure where it is in Canada, is uh, what happened in Atlanta. And, yeah. you know, just, I, I guess, 
I guess the reason I bring that up with this topic is I think as a society, we're wrestling with some of these Asian stereotypes. And mm-hmm. you mentioned your parents being Korean. You mentioned even your work ethic. And I, I guess help our listeners know how you're processing this with your family and having this conversation because it it seems like you as an individual are trying mm-hmm. to process this in a very helpful way. So I just wonder if, you know, you could bring our listeners into how you're kind of walking through this with Christina. Yeah, definitely. I mean, ever since the, um, I mean, Ray, Christina and I, she's Chinese Canadian, I'm Korean Canadian. So our kids are Chorean. Uh, we like to say Chorean Canadian. But for us, uh, for both Christina and I, I mean, we've been on the receiving end of racism our entire lives. And it's always been this silent, ugh, just eat it, you know, don't cause a fuss, don't cause a ruckus. I'll just kind of toss this, toss it aside or let it run off my shoulders and all that. And, and it's just what what is what that that's actually led to has really been this passivism toward not a pacifist, uh, but this passive approach to racism and what has happened. Well, when um, when what happened to George Floyd happened last year and Christina and I recognized that one of the cops was an Asian and he literally was there for that entire time and he didn't say a thing or he might have said something but he didn't do it enough to make a difference and I was like that police officer's knee wasn't on Floyd's neck for a minute it wasn't even on for 30 and I get adrenaline and everything else that was going on but if I was that Asian cop, would I have done the same thing? Knowing the life that I had lived, would I have been able to stand up to maybe someone who was my superior? Would I have been able to do, would I, would I have done anything different? And I don't know if I would have. I think I would have been so full of fear and trying to stop everything. And just, I just, I think it would have just passed by so quickly. And I'm like, oh my goodness. My the fact that Asians are the quote unquote and Asians have experienced racism so much, right? But the fact that Asians can be the model minority and Asian racism has been up hundreds percent more than it was last year. And I mean, there's a lot, and I wrote about it on my on my website, just giving some stats and everything that was going on. But I was like, the fact that I have the freedom that I have is because of what my black brothers and sisters have been able, like what they endured and are still enduring. And if I don't stand up for them, and this was pre what happened in Atlanta, if I don't stand up with them and learn more, just because I've been on the receiving end of racism doesn't mean I understand racism. I understand aspects about it, but I don't understand the power dynamics and the cultural dynamics and all that. stuff. So I started a journey of learning personally that and and yeah that I've just been it's just been so great over this last year and then Atlanta happened right and then it was like oh my goodness like this is like this is horrible and then I had people in um in my congregation some people within the congregation and other people outside on my Facebook and in the states and Canada all over being like no this is not an act of racism and they're like it's not I mean, just take a look, right? I mean, the guy himself said it was not racially. I mean, the guy, the murderer himself said it was not a racist act. The police officer, the sheriff, he said it's not a racist act. 
And you're like, so the media printed, it's not a racist act. And there, I can't believe, I can't, I can't believe how many people read all of that. And they were like, guys, it's not a racist act. Look at all this. It's not, see what the media, here's the thing, guys. And this might be like a, a, a mind opening, you know, kind of eye opening moment for all of your listeners. The guy who murdered those women, if he were to say it was a racist act, he would have a greater penalty um, in the in the prosecution process. Right. It would actually be worse for him if he admitted to to that. OK, that's number one. Number two, the sheriff who said it was not a racist act. He posted pictures of himself saying COVID is a China virus. Like racially, like very racist. And he posted it publicly. So number two, he's the guy who said that. <laughs> right. And then number three, they're both white guys. And not everyone who's white is racist, but they're both white guys, right, who have been a product of this system, this racist system that we all live in, because racism, there's a difference between prejudice, discrimination, and racism, right? Racism is a power thing. It's a system thing. Uh, we're all prejudiced. We can all be prejudiced. Minorities can be prejudiced because that's prejudging someone. Discrimination is when we act on the prejudice. But racism, you need to be in a position of power to be racist and to, and, to, and to spread racism. And they were in positions of power, both being white male uh, in, our, in our society. So, I, sorry, guys, I'm going on a rant. But, I mean. <laughs> yeah. I guess my follow-up, you know, our yeah. question today is, why won't my job make me happy? And the reason I wanted to ask that, knowing what you just said. Yeah. Do you feel more pressure to be more successful? Does it cause you at times to kind of mm. step back? Because you've you've articulated, I think, what many people feel. And yeah. so I guess when it comes to this question and your experience, that's where I'd like to see kind of how you've processed and put all that together. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, one thing I've had to come to terms with and it going back to what happened with George Floyd is I need to be more vocal and verbal. I can't just passively allow my cultural side and my upbringing to be silent because I know that that's my default. I need to speak up because if I'm, and especially as a pastor too, I need to speak up. And literally, I've gotten emails, you know, both with the COVID side of things and masking and with this, where there are people within my congregation who are literally just asking. They're like, I'm not trying to be divisive. I just I want to know how to think about this. Because everything I'm reading is written by the secular media or other people who have agendas or this. That. I want to know what you think as my pastor who loves me. And who has studied the scriptures and who's seeking God. So there's that responsibility of it, right? But there's also what you were alluding to, the responsibility of the fact that I recognize that there are not many Asian Americans or Asian Canadians in positions of senior leadership. There's, there's not a lot. There, it, it's increasing and it's happening more and more and more, but there's not a ton. And I recognize that that's something that I, it's, it's, it's a responsibility on my part to be able to steward this platform and not be a divisive voice. And one of the values for our church, I mean, it's, we're incredibly 
welcoming and and it starts by we are for and not against. And I don't want to be a voice against. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be this like hostile. I'm just going to speak up about everything. But I do need to be informed and I do need to be wise. So the posture that I've taken is when something happens in media or something else that that deems a response, I am not going to be the first to do it. I am actually going to let it sit. And I know I might be a week late to the news cycle, but I would rather let it sit, let the emotions you know, drop down, let other experts speak into it, let more information come out. And then as I continue to process and pray through, then I'm going to respond. So that's the approach that I took with these latest Atlanta shootings, where it wasn't it was a week after all of it happened, where I appeared on a TV interview about it and I wrote this article on it. And it was like because I felt like I needed that time to process. But I can't I can't just be quiet about it anymore because I, I recognize the responsibility and um yeah, the responsibility that I feel God has entrusted me with. Last questions about that. And then Ramon has, I just, you know, there's a lot of individuals, you know, this podcast is for 20 to 30 somethings. Um, I'm imagining there's a Daniel M, you know, who's Korean, um, who's mm-hmm. listening to this. You know, we have, you know, Asian students and, um, you know, black students and, you know, and you can push back and say that I'm wrong, but I I wonder if they hear this question, why won't my job make me happy? Because, you know, even what you said, there's not a lot of Asian leaders. Mm. And so it's just, I have to get this promotion. I have to lead. Like, I'm representing my family. I'm mm. representing my race. Like, I have to be successful. And instead of being joyful and happy, it it could almost wow. feel like you can push back on this. It almost feels like the more I get promoted, the more I get opportunity, the more pressure I feel. What would you say to those individuals? Oh, that's that's such good insight. I would say all of those expectations, right, that your family has on you culturally, you might be feeling everything else that you had just said. Those are those are things that are better to be viewed in the rearview mirror than in your front windshield. What needs to drive us, what needs to be in front of us in our front windshield needs to be being faithful in the little and being faithful with where, with what God has entrusted me. So that could be just getting coffee for someone else, right? That could be doing your work in obscurity and allowing someone else and allowing your boss to take credit who might be a jerk and who might be et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but is being faithful in the little, knowing that all of this is not, it's God sees it all, right? And he sees your heart and he sees what's happening, right? I think it's recognizing that, yeah, how can I just not strive and not claw and grab, but how can I be like Jesus in my work, right? And that's being faithful with what God has entrusted you to and in terms of your job and being faithful to your work and um, not stealing from your workplace. Not, I'm not talking about like the office, like stealing pencils or anything. I'm talking about like stealing time, right? It's, it's being that, but also it's how do you serve? I mean, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? So three things, be faithful, serve those around you joyfully, but also 
right? On top of all of that, develop other people, right? Just because you're pouring into your coworker and helping them succeed doesn't mean you're going to lose your job. I've never met someone who has fired an excellent people developer. <laughs> like be the best encourager and developer around others. And God's going to take care of all of that others, right? And just be Christ-like, be joy-filled, rejoice in the Lord always, right? So there's a side where you just need to be like Christ. Let that be your what's in front of your windshield moving forward. And then behind, then you see all those other sides and being like, oh, well, now that I'm here, yeah, how do I just make sure that I'm continually allowing Jesus to lead me and lead all that I do? But yeah, you know what? Because of my ethnicity or because of my family or because I'm the first one in my family who has ever graduated from university or who has ever graduated from high school or who has, you know, you have all of these expectations. Don't let those things drive you because then that you're just adding an eighth lie or a ninth lie or a tenth lie to the book and it never satisfies. So then you provided some great insight in regards to <clears throat> being able to view some of these things that we experience on a daily basis. And I, I'm, I'm thankful for your insight on the recent current events that has taken place. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of just do a quick follow up on that. Now that you mentioned the importance of the the wisdom and waiting, the, the wisdom and kind of just allowing things to process um, as a leader and somebody that would have a lot of influence on what gets done, especially in an organization, whether it be a church or a, a um, business, how much of that plays in in terms of now, in terms of positioning ourselves in a, in a position where we're going to be proactive versus reactive? Yeah. And, and how does mm. that play in with, with your current role? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's that old saying, Rome wasn't conquered in a day. And it goes a little bit back to what we talked about earlier, where we live in this instant gratification culture, where everything is instant. So I know when we see acts of racism happen, uh, and acts of tragedy like happened a couple days after in Colorado with the shooting, and and that's just that's just here, right? I mean, there's the number of women that are trafficked without us even knowing, and boys and girls that are trafficked. I mean, that's just on, there's ongoing injustices everywhere, right? Ongoing racism everywhere. For us to be like, oh, you know, now that I'm in a position of leadership, I'm going to change everything today, right? It's, it's like an organ transplant. I mean, there's a ton of process that goes into getting your body ready, you know, the organ being taken out, you know, your body being prepared, and then all of the post-op drugs and medicine that you need to take so your body doesn't reject. I mean, it's a long process. And when you think about it from that perspective, change does not happen overnight. So if you're in a position of leadership, how do you take it slowly, recognizing that just because you're going slowly doesn't mean you're offending God or you're, or you're, uh, you're, 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 not being faithful with what God has trust, entrusted you to. No, you got to know your context, know your context and, and do things slowly. So as it relates to what I talked about before on the racism side of things, and this goes with racism and a lot of other pieces, how do we just become lifelong learners? And how do we just make sure that we're always learning? You don't need to get caught up in the news cycle and, and just 
learn quickly and ingest as many books and articles as you can while it's the hot topic and then you go on to the next thing no how do you how do we just make ourselves lifelong learners so here's an example i mean for and i know this <laughs> this episode was not about racism so i'm sorry if i like went too long on this well um, we uh you guys, you guys we, brought it up so. we, we we went there we we went there okay, so, this is, this is uh, what we love i'm you know we love episodes like this Okay, so here's here's a recommendation for all your listeners, okay? Whether you're white or not, but especially if you're white, read the book White Fragility. It's not a Christian book, but it's a book about racism. It's a book about it's a book about power. It's the most mind opening. And there's a lot of other books if you are a pastor and other and and Christian. There's other books that you can read too that layer on top. But as a starting point. Uh, whether you're white or not, read the book White Fragility because it is literally going to blow your mind in terms of what, like, just what racism actually is. And you may not agree with all of it, but don't say, because I don't agree with it, I'm not going to read it, right? At least just read it and read it critically. I mean, we should never read a book and agree with it wholeheartedly. Read it critically, but at least read it and because it's going to, I guarantee you, it's going to open up aspects about racism that you've never thought was even a thing. Wow. Um, I, I want to transition us. There's two questions I want to close with kind of coming back to the topic. And Daniel, you know, I'm really glad that we had a chance to talk with you after this. Cause I think mm -hmm. this is why we have a podcast. Um, we have a mm -hmm. topic, but then there's a subtopic that takes over. And I think the, Podcasts are safe. When you talk about learning, the reason we bring in people, we don't agree with everything that everyone says, but it's bringing, mm -hmm. I can listen to this podcast, I can hear tough things, and I don't have mm -hmm. to be on the, that's why we do it. So yeah. I want to ask all three of us two questions to close. The second one's going to be a spiritual, but this is, the first one's going to be practical. And for each of us to kind of answer it in one sentence. And mm -hmm. um, so what I'll do is I'll ask it, Ramon and I will go first and you'll close. So the first, it's the question that brings us here. Why won't my job make me happy? So let's start with Ramon. Ooh, this is such a church answer, but because Jesus makes me happy, nothing else will. Um, if I answered that, uh, just from listening to this episode, um, you went church cheesy. I'm going to go like Hallmark cheesy. You know, <laughs> When Daniel was talking about Nashville, I know he loved Lifeway. I listened to like every podcast he was on, but Daniel didn't bring up Lifeway. He brought up the ice cream shop, the church. Mm -hmm. And I, I think even now I'm in a season, I have an eight week old daughter, Lucy, and then mm -hmm. I have Haley who's three and they both were at church yesterday. And the best part of my day, the only thing I remember is Haley running to see me at this. So there's a level that your job can make you happy, but if you ask it to do it, it won't. So Daniel, what about you? I went a little longer, so sorry about that. <laughs> All right. There's no end to a life of doing. Doing does not result in done. It only leads to more doing. And there's no badge of honor in a life of doing. You only find exhaustion and despair at the end of it all. So here's the question that we close with for all three of us. Uh, what does Jesus have to say about the topic? 
So just like we answered, uh, the great thing about having a pastor on is if Ramon and I have a little heresy, you can clean it up at the end of it. So, uh, uh, Ramon, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You know, um, yeah, I'll shoot for it. Uh, you said Jesus on the topic of work. Yeah. Like, why won't my job make me happy? Why is Jesus? You know, I'm reminded of uh, the beginning, uh, Genesis, and, and reminded of just the importance of the task that he gave Adam and Eve way before sin even took place and and how much he valued it, but not in the sense of just doing, like um, Dan just mentioned, doing for the sake of just doing. Um, but it was a, a sense of, you know, he's providing a responsibility. He's giving us something to do in, in regards of us being able to be obedient to what he's called us to do. And um, I'm reminded of that because I, I you know, I, I don't want to see work as a, as an obligation in terms of something that will make me happy in terms of just something that I can do in obedience and response to God. Um, those were the, the first couple of thoughts that came to mind for me. You know, I was I was listening to Daniel and listening to you, Ramon, and um, what I find interesting about the Bible is the Bible doesn't hide people's vocations. So Peter was a fisherman. Lydia was a seller of purple. Um, Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, I think, were tent makers, but uh, with Paul. And I guess I'm leaving this conversation with God just wants you to right size your job to your life. And I think even what I'm leaving from with Daniel is work really hard and be faithful and consistent, but never ask your job to do what only Jesus can do. Yeah. Amen. Well, let me, cause you asked what Jesus has to say about it. Let me read to you from Matthew 6, 26 to 30. And this is Jesus's words in the sermon on the Mount. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? Wow, that's a, a great place to close our episode. Um, uh, it's danielm.com, correct? Mm -hmm. Where people yeah, can find right. you. Uh, just go there. Um, just for those of you that are listening and for those of you on video, be checking us out on social media. We're going to be giving away Daniel's book. So... Um, if you're listening to this episode on the Thursday that it comes out, um, I think it's coming out two to three weeks from uh, the time of recording. Yeah, you could get a book. So just stay tuned. Uh, Daniel, I'm so grateful to have you on. This was an amazing uh, conversation. Don't miss a podcast. The best way for you not to miss a podcast or anything, any of these wonderful conversations is go to whygodwhypodcast.com. Subscribe to our email. That'll get you connected. Um, and every Thursday when we come out with a podcast, it'll come out from there. We thank you so much. Uh, we are brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. We exist to ask the questions that you don't think you can ask in church. So thank you so much. Thank you.